Well, let's turn our attention to God's word. Uh, Hopefully you have a copy of scripture with you. If you don't, that's okay. We've got one that you can use underneath one of the seats in front of you. Uh, I'd encourage you to to take that out and open up. This morning, we are continuing in our series through the Psalms, and we are in Psalm 103 uh, this morning. And what we said is there's um, you know, a lot of Christmas songs that we uh, know, but are there some songs uh, in the book of Psalms that speak to some of these themes that we celebrate at Christmas, right? We've been lighting these candles, and we, we've lit the candle of, of uh, hope and of peace, and, and last week um, of joy, and this morning of love. And, and what we've been doing is looking at songs from God's Psalter uh, for us, Uh, to inform our hearts and and to lead us toward worship and just a right response um, regarding um, just the way that God works and the things that he brings through Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, how Christ brings love and shows the love of God. Um, I don't know how it works in your house, but uh, we try to eat healthy. Um, Some days, that's better accomplished than others. Um, I don't know, um, you know, all the nuances of, of, of you know, I don't, I don't kind of do like some of those micro-calorie counting or, or some of those, you know, I know there's apps and different things that can happen, but I know this. I know generally speaking, you want a lot of color on your plate, right? Like if you have a sea of white or a sea of brown, and that's like kind of the color of your plate, that you're probably not getting all the nutrients that your body uh, desires or needs. And so having some color, having some green, having some orange, having some red, you know, something in there, and not, and not artificial, right? Okay, let's just clarify. Um, but, but, but actually, you know, natural uh, coloring in there is kind of a good sign of that. And we've tried to instill in our kids an understanding of uh, things that are healthy and things that are not healthy. So for example, um, recently, uh, we were, I think it was around Thanksgiving, we we're eating mashed potatoes. My four-year-old son asked, Dad, are these healthy? And I was like, well, not exactly. Like, you know, they, they, yes, they grow in the ground, uh, but to begin with, they're not super healthy. We've boiled them, which I'm sure has removed some of the uh, thing out of it. And then we added to it a bunch of cream and butter and salt and, um, you know, all the other, like cheese. And so, so yeah, no, they're not really all that healthy. And uh, other things, they know that, hey, we eat this because they're healthy. And at times, um, they've established that they know what's not healthy. And, and Levi is pretty convinced that he, um, he, he's okay with healthy, but he really likes. He's like, I like not healthy stuff sometimes. I'm like, oh, but we all like not healthy stuff sometimes. Um, sometimes his, uh, his big sister is like a great big sister, and she'll take him. Um, there's a quick trip that we can walk to from our home, and she'll go on a little sister-brother date and uh, take him to quick trip and buy him something from um, quick trip. And uh, he typically will say as he's walking in, he's like, Ellie, today I'm going to get something not healthy. And uh, they go to the candy aisle, and upon surveying it, he's like, this all looks like it's not healthy. Am I right? And she's like, yeah, you are right. And he's like, okay, good. And he's like, you know, let's go. And he's, he wants something not healthy. And it's okay. You know, we've taught them it's okay to have, you know, some things that are maybe not healthy time to time, but you want to have some things that are healthy. Like, we got to have a good, balanced uh, diet. And if we don't, then you're going to become uh, malnourished. Your body's not going to get the things that you need. Um, for uh, In the case of Levi, we tell him that he's not going to grow big and strong. And he like wants to grow big and strong. So that is a big part of, um, of the healthiness uh, there. But here's the thing for us. As we open God's word this morning, we want to have a balanced diet in our understanding of the Lord. And the illustration breaks down a little bit, but, li- but if you would just kind of Hang with me. I think here's my hope 
is that we would not become malnourished and only sort of feasting on these little kind of parts or pieces or the things that maybe appear good to us, that we would take the whole counsel of God's word, right, and that we would eat it, that we would consume it, that we would take it to, um, to our heart, and that we would understand fully who God is. And here's the good news that I have for you this morning, is that this is the full counsel of God's word. And everything on these pages is healthy for us. And some of us, we are blessed with taste buds that find healthy foods tasty. Like, since I was a kid, I have always loved broccoli. I wish there was the magic button. I don't know how to rewire my kids so they have the same love for broccoli that I do. Uh, I've tried to trick them into eating trees as monsters. Um, but, but I've always loved the taste of broccoli. I think it's fantastic. And there's other veggies as well. See, it's really good when there's healthy foods that we enjoy eating and it's good for us to eat. We just need to make sure that they're part of our diet. And this morning, we're gonna do that. We're gonna feast on a character, a quality, an attribute of the Lord that is really good for us. It's healthy for us. We need to hear it. If we don't, then we're malnourished. But the good news I have for you is it's something that tastes really good. This morning is something that should encourage our hearts and encourage our souls. We're talking this morning about the steadfast love of God. And it is so good for us to hear and to think and to uh, just to to dwell, to meditate upon what this means for us. And my hope is that we would walk away having heard, for some of us having heard yet again, of the steadfast love of God, and we would believe that in our heart of hearts that we would believe that God has love for us, and his love is steadfast and unchanging. You see, it's really good, and we need to believe because sin flows from unbelief. I don't know if you think about this, but all of the times that we uh, fall short or fail to follow God's commands, there is unbelief at work. I can point to and sort of take the original sin uh, into account, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, the, the serpent came and he said, did God really say? And in that moment, Eve started and Adam was quick to follow. What they were questioning is, is like, is this really... Is God's word and what he's said, his commands over us, is that really what's best? Is he our ultimate good? Or is my understanding, my desire for this, my, my looking at this fruit, is this really best? And so there was unbelief at work and sin was born out of unbelief. The same is true of us. Every time that we take and eat of something we're not to do, every time that we fail to do something that God has said, what we're really saying in that moment that I don't really believe that God's word, his commands, his rule, his reign over me is what is best. And so this morning, would this passage serve to realign our hearts with the truth of who God is, and would it remind us of the gospel? Of all of the Psalms, there's 150 of them, of all of them, Psalm 103 is probably the most gospel-dense Psalm that there is. And so it's a really tasty, nutritious, like, you know, it's loaded with those antioxidants or, or whatever, you know, other health words that you can kind of throw at that, right? It is, it is very healthy for us. It has some great gospel nutrients. And so what I want to do is, is to um, just walk through this with us, and then let's be reminded of the steadfast love of God, especially the way that it's expressed to us through Christ at Christmas, so let's uh, read through uh, the psalm together, uh, just in its entirety, and then we'll walk our way through it. Uh, psalm 103, 
It's, it's a Psalm of David. It says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And in its place, its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What we're gonna see, we're gonna be reminded again of God's steadfast love. We're going to see that expressed in a few ways. The first is this. We see that the Lord responds to me in showing steadfast love. He responds to me showing his steadfast love. Uh, David is writing this psalm, I believe, especially the way that he starts, first and foremost, for his own heart. You know, a lot of times, right? A lot of times we uh, think about the truths of God and, and it's quick for us to think about, man, you know, I, w- I wish that he could hear this. Right? Or I wish that she could hear this. And uh, we've been having problems with Mike this morning. So I'm told that the batteries are shifting on me. So I'm going to try and not get really um, excited and uh, bounce around a little bit. So is this my backup? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Hopefully we don't need that. So a lot of times we think about Psalms for, um, uh, or we think about the truth of God word rather for other people. But David here is writing for his own heart, right? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's, he's kind of calling out to his own soul and he's saying, soul, you need this, right? You need to worship here. And it's kind of the same sort of situation like if you've flown on an airplane and they say with those air masks, right, uh, to, to put yours on before helping somebody else, right? You need the flow of oxygen coming into you before you can turn around and give that to somebody else. And I would say the same is true for us this morning. We need this. I need this. I need to respond to God in worship this morning. So before we get any further, can we just get this point down that this is for me this morning? This is for you this morning, right? You need this. So why don't we just say this? Can you just say, this is for me? This is for me, okay? This truth is for you, it's for me. We, each of us, need to understand this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. See, David is worried that his heart, and in the anxiousness 
that comes with life and the, the tyranny of the urgent or the things that kind of distract him away, that he's going to forget all the ways that God has been faithful and blessed him. And so he lists them out right here, and he lists five specific ways that God has shown his faithfulness. He's blessed David, and he's done the same for us. Here's five ways that the Lord has blessed. The first is, um, he has forgiven me my sin. He's forgiven my sin. And this is, I believe, one of the greatest benefits of the Lord. Why? Because there is no relationship without forgiveness. Our sin has separated us. It has caused a rift between us and the Lord. That relationship has been broken. And so if there is not forgiveness, then there is no relationship. And so he begins there with forgives my sins. Secondly, he says, who heals all your diseases. He heals my disease. See, there was a real understanding for the people of God that that life uh, was a sign of God's presence and his faithfulness. Uh, we often take the years that we live for granted, right? We um, have, uh, through modern medicine and many medical devices, we can see inside of our bodies. We can go in. I mean, now the, the surgeries that can be performed uh, with just the most you know, small of incision and all the things that can be done, it's incredible. When, the, when this was being written, uh, even a small cut could lead to death. It could easily get infected. It could easily then spread. And, and so life was seen as so much more precious and so much more valuable than I think we do. We sort of assume our days. Um, I, I'm not looking for a ton of fanfare with this, but I just kind of want to let you know where I'm at in life. I turned 40 this week, okay? So I would like to think that I'm halfway, right? That I've, I'd love to see 80. So I'm, I'm like halfway done with my life. And that super excites me because... I've spent the first four decades trying to figure out a few things. I'm really excited to live the next four decades on the wisdom and, and sort of all the like, things that God's already taught me. So I don't know, um, you know, I, I love uh, seeing um, people that are more effective in their last half of life than their first half, right? Where God uses and, and is, is doing things. Like I, I, that's my prayer. But I'm, I'm presuming or sort of hoping that I've got another several decades to go. If I was here and around at the time of David, I would be considered an old man. And I know my kids think I'm an old man. But, but I, I know some of you, you look at me and you're like, well, you're just a kid. I'm like, man, I would have never thought when I was 20 that 40 I would still be called like a kid. But I guess it just never ends. I'll probably be 60 and still called a kid. But here's the reality is that life is seen as a blessing from the Lord. And so when he says that he heals all your diseases, there was an understanding that God was present at all times in sustaining life. That if you're alive, that he has healed you because there is disease prevalent around us in that. And so you see just the very days as a blessing from the Lord. The third way that he recounts is he redeems my life from the pit. The pit is seen, it's a metaphor for the grave. And David understands that, that he's been on the brink of death multiple times. Spiritually speaking, he was dead and God has redeemed and made his life new. And he has preserved his people. His people were dead. They were in slavery. They were in bondage and he led them to a promised land. He gave them a new home and he was their king. And so he redeemed their life. And furthermore, he crowns me with love and mercy. That word used for mercy there is a covenantal in nature. It comes from God's promise to his people, his promise to be faithful, his promise to, to not give up, 
to not sell out, to not cut it short. And he crowns you with that. It's seen as a a visible sign for God's care over you, that his love and his mercy toward you would be seen and recognized as God's blessing over you as a crown on the head. And then fifth, we see that he satisfies me with good. The things of the Lord are good. He gives us the good things that are necessary for life. Right, as we open up presents in our home this week, many of the things under that tree are not necessary for life. They're sort of fun bonus add-ons. And so many times, I think we do the same thing. We get so focused on some of the extras, right, that we lose track or lose sight that the very things that we need from life are, for, are good things from the Lord. And so David is recognizing you satisfy with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He's like, the Lord gives me a strength that's not humanly speaking. It's, 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 it's supernatural. And he equips me and he gives me strength so that I can serve and enjoy him. And so there's this remembrance that's happening. Listen, church, we would do well to remember the way that God has shown his benefits for us, lest we forget all of his benefits. Right? That's what David's doing. He's recounting. Well, we want to help you out with that this week. And so as you came in on the chairs, and, and whether there's one on your chair or not, you can find, find one around the room. We, we, I think there's enough for everybody to have one. Um, but there's these cards. And you've seen these candles on our artwork, and, and, but I haven't really highlighted them yet. Can I just tell you what these are? It's actually really cool. Uh, uh, the, a gentleman in our church, Bob Beasel, um, actually hand-drew all of these in preparation for our Advent series. And so each of these candles... It represents the themes that we've been celebrating at Advent, and then there's the Christ candle, uh, which we'll light on Christmas Eve. On the back, what we've done is we've pulled excerpts out of each of the Psalms with truths about who God is. Maybe this week, the hope is, could you take these, put these in a place, maybe stick them in your Bible or, or, or review them as you're getting ready in the morning or when you get to work or whatever, that you would just be recount all the ways that God has shown his benefits to us. And these would be a visible reminder, just a picture of what Christ has brought and all of the ways that he has blessed us. You see, we want to be intentional about that because we are forgetful people. We need to remember that we, in our sinful, selfish state, God responded with his steadfast love, right? He's shown his steadfast love to us. So then the question is, how do we then respond to him? We respond to the Lord with praise. That is why David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. That word for bless means, or it's barak, it means praise with gratitude. That there's this thankfulness that we have in our heart. And that's the right response when a gift is given, right? But we are not always, we don't always respond with a right response, uh, imagine, um, just picture with me, if you will, it's Christmas morning, okay, it's coming up, there's a countdown going in our home, kids remind me every day how many sleeps we got, right, so it's coming, and imagine it's Christmas morning, I'm a dad, so I've got some good gifts that I've already bought for my kids, I can't wait to give it to them, I, I love giving gifts at Christmas, it's so much fun to see the look on their faces, all of that, but imagine one of my kids opens their gift, and their response is something like this, yeah, this is fantastic, but it is too much. You kind of outdid yourself. Can I, oops, there I did it, I bumped the mic. Can I chip in a little bit? Can I, can I just kind of help out with that? I, I, 
I mean, that's, that's a lot. Can I, can I just kind of help pay for that a little bit? Or can we maybe work something out? Maybe I can pick up a few extra chores or something. Like, I just, I feel like, you know, this is too over the top. I need to do something to repay you for this gift. And I don't know how it goes in your Christmas uh, morning. That has never happened, right? That's never happened. Now, I have gotten the thing where they open it up and they're like, ooh, what is it? Oh, man, that's the worst. It's like swing and a miss. You know, it's like, oh, man. Well, let me tell you about it. If you have to tell about a gift, it's, it could go well. But sometimes I've been in enough situations where it's like, oh, man, I'm halfway there. I'm like, I blew it. Sorry. You know, here's a gift card. Like, <laughs> go, go figure it out, right? And so we want, we want these things. We want, what do we want? We want excitement, right? Like, I want my kids to open and be like, oh, man, this is exactly what I wanted. You know, like, I want to see that. And then I want them with hearts of gratitude and gratefulness to be like, dad, thank you. You're the best, right? Like that's what we're going after. That's why I bought all those gifts. I'm trying to buy their response toward me. In some ways though, the Lord, this is, this is what the Lord is looking for us. He's not trying to buy our happiness or our response for us, but he in his goodness out of his grace and his mercy, he has shown us steadfast love. And what he's looking for when we receive it is enjoyment, not just of the gift, but of the giver, of him, and that there would be gratefulness and thanksgiving. God, you are so good. You are the best. Who am I? Why would you give this to me? I don't deserve this. He's not looking for us to repay him or sort of help him you know, pay it off. He wants us to receive it with gratefulness, with gratitude, and then respond in praise. And this is what David is doing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Why? Because he has shown his blessing toward me. He has shown me his benefits. God is so good. So the Lord responds to me with his steadfast love. David drills down on this point of forgiveness, and this is the second truth that we see. Let me show it to you in God's word. It's this, is that the Lord forgives me with his steadfast love. The Lord forgives me with steadfast love. Verse six, David continues, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to his sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. You see, Lord made known to his people about his steadfast love, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Notice David recounts when and how God made this known. He says he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. This verse eight actually is a direct quote from Exodus, anyone know? Exodus 34. Now what's significant about this is the context in which it was given. You see, Moses was asking to see the glory of God and God's like, you can't handle my glory And so he put him in a rock and he passed before him and allowed him to see just a a part of his glory, right? He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for a thousand, 
forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. See, this is what David is quoting here. This was expressed, shown to the prophet, to the leader, to Moses. But what's so helpful for us is to understand the context in which this was given to us and shown. If you remember or recount what was happening around that time, if you don't know, it's okay, let me tell you, is that God had taken his people out of Israel. He had removed them from the bondage and the slavery that they were in, and he had led them out. Well, in the wilderness, as he was leading them toward the land that he had prepared for them or called them to, uh, he was... Um, giving them or going to give them this land and he was going to give them the commands or the, the, the kind of regulation that he wanted them to live by. He wanted to set them apart from the nations. He wanted them to look differently. He wanted to, them to follow his ways and his precepts. And so he brought Moses up on the mountain. That's where the 10 commandments were being given. Well, while this is going on, the people of God were a little impatient for Moses to come back. So they hadn't even been rescued like 15 minutes and what did they do? They kind of reverted back to all their old ways. It says that they started taking off all their jewelry and Aaron collected it. And according to him, what we know a little better, that he threw it in the fire and out popped a calf, right? Like we know there was some effort that was put in that. That's not what happened, but that's what, he's like, oh, we just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. It's like, really, really, Aaron? Are, are we sure about that? But they took this calf, they put it on display and they were worshiping it. God had not just redeemed them 15 minutes before, and now they're worshiping this calf. So Moses comes down from the mountain, and he sees the people of God responding in idolatry. I mean, sin, bowing down to this foreign idol, this engraved idol. They made it. They formed it with their hands, and now they're bowing to it as king or as God. And so God calls Moses back up onto the mountain, and that's where he says this. And I just think that context is so good for us to understand that it wasn't that the people of God had, had kind of done all the things that they were supposed to do and they were acting in perfection to the law and that's when God said it. But it was in this just blatant, sinful, selfish state that God still expressed himself as this, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so this is how God has shown himself to his people. And the reminder for us, David includes a few things that God won't do. Do you see it there? There's four things that God won't do. He says that he will not always chide, or uh, a, a different word that we maybe use a little more often is accuse. So he won't always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. So he won't be angry forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing, he does not repay us according to his iniquities. So there's sort of four negatives, things God doesn't do. Well, what does he do? Well, that's where we get the other three. There's three examples or similes. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. This isn't a riddle or a puzzle. This is meant to be like plainly obvious. How high are the heavens above the earth? The answer, really, really high. Okay, so how much then is his steadfast love toward those who fear him? It's really, really great. Like the steadfast love of the Lord is as great as the heavens are above the earth. The second example he gives, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. So how far does he move his, remove our transgressions? Well, if you go from east to west and you start traveling away, now we understand, you know, if you're on the globe, you're gonna kind of come back around, but that's not the point. The point is, it's, it's like eternally far away. It's always moving in the opposite direction. And here's what's so good for us to understand about God in this. 
Can God forget our sin? Like, does he ever forget the sin that you do? He does not. God doesn't forget anything. He remembers all things at all times. He knows everything that can be, could be, has happened, will. He never forgets your sins, but what does he do? He chooses to put them off, right? He removes them from us. And so that he's not, they're not in the view. When he looks at you, he does not see your sinful state. If you are in Christ Jesus, he sees the perfection of his son because he has removed transgressions and he's put them off as far as the east is from the west. And the third example is this, is a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You think of the best dad that you know. Maybe it's your dad, maybe it wasn't. But the best dad showing love and compassion to his children, God will outshine that dad any day, right? It is the perfect love of the father that God shows us as his children It's the love of a father for his kids is the love that God has for us. See, how amazing is this? See, he knows our frame, or some of your translations say he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. Because of that, he knows our frail state. He knows that we need this kind of love. And out of the character of who he is, out of his grace and out of his mercy, his love, he loves us with this type of love. How amazing is our God? It's incredible. And I think one of the things that will help you to understand the truths that you come across in scriptures, you have to understand that all of this, all of it, from cover to cover, is pointing to the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay, so all these pages leading up to that moment of Christ's death and all the pages that follow are in anticipation before and in in response after. But all of it centers on the finished, accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. And so this is how David, not even knowing how exactly God was going to pull this off, he knows the truth about what God is. And now, this side of the cross, we can read it and we know exactly what that means. Go back to the things that God's not going to do. He's not going to always chide or accuse. Why? Well, because he chose to accuse his son instead. Right? His son took on our iniquity. Our sin was placed on him. He took on the chastisement of us all. Nor will he keep his anger forever. Why? Well, because someday God was going to pour out his wrath and his anger on the perfect lamb of God, his son. And he was going to take on that wrath, which was due and owed us. He will not deal with us according to our sin. Why? Because he was going to deal with Jesus according to our sin. And he will not repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because he was going to count the death of Jesus as payment for our iniquities. How amazing is this truth? It's looking forward to the cross of Christ. This is the steadfast love of God, and it is all done to forgive sinful people through the accomplished and finished work of Jesus in his perfect life and his sacrificial death. And through his miraculous resurrection, we are granted life through him. So why is he so patient with us? Well, because it's in his very nature and he knows and remembers that we are dust. Do we? Do we know that we are formed by him? Do we know that we are dust, that we are sinners in need of a savior? The amazing thing is if you are in Christ, you are not regarded in God, or by God as in sin, but you are seen as in Christ. You are seen as redeemed, made new 
wiped clean in a sinless state. This is the truth that God has shown through his son, Jesus. David continues this point, and he speaks more to the frailty, the need of men and women. Look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Oh, man, we understand this, right? It snowed this week, and based on the temperature, the snow's going to be around for a while. I don't know about you. I think it's beautiful out there. I think most Wisconsinites think it's beautiful out there. Why? Because it's still December, all right? Come like January 15th, we are over it. We are done. We are like ready. But the worst part about being in Wisconsin is that we still have like three more months of it, okay? And so it's going to be Easter and we'll be like potentially still like experiencing snowy conditions out there. That green grass that we love so much is gone. We don't see it. Same thing happens in the summer. We get like a few uh, rainless weeks and it can dry up and turn brown and it is so temporal, Right? It just it comes and goes. That's what he's saying. We are like this. We're like the grass of the field, the flower of the field. It takes but a strong wind, a few rainless days, and there is no more. But God's love is not like this. Verse 17, the steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. It has no end on those who fear him. His righteousness to the children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Here is the third truth that, that we need to remember about God and worship him, and the Lord reigns over me in steadfast love. So he responds to me, he forgives me, but he reigns over me in his steadfast love. Our days are limited, his are not, his reign is forever. You see that it says that his righteousness goes to the children's children what that's not saying is that your righteous acts are going to be counted towards your children. I think that's a helpful point to clarify. God does not have any grandchildren, right? It speaks about God's children. Each of us is accountable for our own sin. Each of us must be saved by Jesus on our own, right? It's something that, that he does for us. And so it's not something that you can inherit. You can't pass your faith onto your kids. You can lead them toward the truths of, 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 of Jesus, but you cannot make them believe. You cannot make them respond in faith. God leads them toward that place. But what it's saying is, is that your righteousness extending to your children's children, it's like the decisions you make are gonna echo for generations, right? Your faithful response to God and his commandments are going to ring out through the generations to come. And there's this, this promise here to those who keep his covenant to remember to do his commandments. See, here's the thing that I think we need to remember is that this earth and, more importantly, our lives are meant to have Christ as king. Like He is the rightful one who sits on the throne, and we are so quick to put other things, other people, other ideas on the throne. And our lives are so much better and ordered when God is on the throne of them. Our families are better and ordered when God is on the throne of our families. Our nation, our city, right? Our church, when Christ is on the throne, things are going in the direction that they should be going. Why? Because we're following his commandments and his precepts and his direction. And his reign is a good and gracious reign. It's a reign in love and his kingdom 
rightfully rules over all. And as I've pastored and spent time with people, I think I've seen two prevalent responses to the commands of God. There's probably others, but I think I see these two the most, and maybe one of these is present in your own heart. One response that I see to the commands of God is this response that I think that I need to earn God's favor and love through following his commandments. Unfortunately, some of our churches teach this. Some of you grew up hearing this, that if you want God to love you, you need to get your act in order, right? You gotta keep your nose clean. You gotta keep your, uh, your, 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 your you know, house in order. You gotta do everything that's like exactly right. And if you mess up, then you are risking God's love for you. I think there's even, like, this is prevalent in some of the other uh, churches and, and religions and other um, uh, places around where there's this idea that we earn God's favor and nothing could be further from the truth. The people of God tried, right? God gave them the law, and what happened? They failed miserably time and time and time again. He even brought them back, gave them to them again. Like, they failed time and time and time again. Till what? Till he sent his son who perfectly lived before the law. Listen, we cannot earn God's righteousness in our life. There is nothing that you can do. We are all born sinners. And then we choose sin on our own, right? In unbelief, we choose to rebel against the good things of God's reign and his rule over our life. And so all of us are in need of redemption. The only redemption, the only way that we can have that forgiveness is through the finished and accomplished work of Jesus. We cannot do it by earning God's love through following commandments. That's the first way. The second error is kind of the opposite. They, uh, I've seen people, and maybe this is in your heart too, right, where you know and understand God's love for you, and so therefore, the commandments of God sort of fade to the background and become unimportant. They're like, well, if God's just going to show me grace anyways, right, why don't I just sin more? Why do I have to care? Like, it's all, it's all grace, God's just gonna show me grace. And then you kind of set aside the covenants or set up, like, I don't care what his plan for marriage is. I don't care what his, his instruction over my mouth or my attitude or my money or my sexuality or whatever it is. Like, I'm just gonna do what I want and count on God's grace. And that, again, is the opposite of what God has expressed in his word. And in fact, it says, like that very question was asked to Paul. And he said, should we, should we sin all the more, right, so that grace may abound. If, if, if God's glorified in our in forgiving sin, then why don't we give him more opportunities to forgive, right? How would it be if that worked out, right? But he's like, no way, by no means, he said. He said, don't keep on sinning. He said, rather, a right response to God's gracious love and steadfast love for us and his mercy over us is to want to follow those commands. And so it's done out of a right response of a loving, a loving father, See, we who are in Christ, we want to keep his covenant. We want to do his commandments because we know that his reign, his rule over us is what is best. Would we recognize and place Christ as ruler, the king over every part of our life? Can we just take inventory over that? Maybe one of us, maybe some of us, maybe we've been living in one of these two wrong ways, where we've been presuming on God's grace and we haven't even been paying attention to all the instruction that he's given us. He's instructed us because he loves us and he wants the very best for us. His way is what is best. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that that's true. God's way is best. I've seen it play out time and time and time again. 
every time someone goes against, I see it end poorly, badly. I see loving followers of Jesus try and speak truth. And then I've seen people deceived by themselves, deceived by others, deceived by whatever message they're kind of, and they follow and they end up in a bad spot. And they're like, I wish I would have listened. I see it time and time again. But on the other side, I also see people trying to be like the older brother, right, that stayed home when the prodigal son went away, right? And I'm trying to earn dad's love and I'm trying to, like, like my performance is gonna like somehow get me greater points or that's what I need to do. And we can do nothing. Listen, Christian, you can do nothing to add to God's accomplished, finished work of Christ. There's nothing that you can do to add to it at all. And so what do we do? We respond. We're back to the same place. We respond in praise. And that's where David lands this psalm. He says this, Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. He's writing to the heavenly host, to the angels. He's like you who were created to only do the will of the Lord and spend every uh, moment of your life existence serving the Father. Bless the Lord. Sing praise to him. Respond with grateful response. Loving response. Then he calls out to creation. He says, bless the Lord, all his works. He's writing to the trees, the skies, the stars, the animals, the oceans. He's like, all of creation sings praise to God. He's like, all of his works in all the places of dominion, give God the praise that he's due. And then again, back to his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's encouraging himself. He's saying, would I join with all of creation and all of heaven and giving praise to the rightful ruler, the rightful king, Jesus Christ. This is what it means to believe. So I would just say this. God desires, if there's one kind of response that we would have, that it would be responding out of more belief of the gospel. This is something that I've been trying to just return to, remind to, is that there is gospel truth to be applied in each of these situations, so quick we are to respond in unbelief and forget God and all of that he has said, but, but in these moments that we can respond to with the gospel of what God has said about me, right? What he has done, what he has achieved, what he has earned, and knowing that I don't have to look to my performance, I don't have to look to anyone else's view, I don't have to look to um, you know, my, my shortcomings or something like that, because here's the thing, I heard it expressed this way, that the, um, you know, God's steadfast love is like the sun shining down upon us. And our sinfulness is like clouds that come in and it makes it feel like his sun is not shining, that steadfast love is not shining anymore. But listen, no cloud can make the sun shine any more than our sinfulness can make the steadfast love of God fade. It may feel like it's not there, but it is still shining there. And we have but to respond to God, worship him, praise him as the God that he is, and we will be reminded of his steadfast love for us. Would this be the nutrients? Would this be the, the good, healthy food that we are washed in this morning, being reminded of God's steadfast love? Sometimes it seems too good. It's like, well, this, there's gotta be more, right? There is, there's plenty more, but we need this too. Christian, you need to be reminded of God's steadfast love at Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Who are we? God, that you would respond to us in this way. We are but dust. God, you formed us. You knit us together. God, you see our frailty and you have responded to us with your grace and with your mercy. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, 
to do perfectly what we could not. And so, God, we respond to the truth of who you are. God, first with faith and belief, God, believing that you say, that you do what you say you will, that you'll count Christ's righteousness to us. And Lord, then we respond in praise, worship, adoration, God, giving you all the glory that you are due. God, would you reign in our hearts? God, would you reign in our families? Would you reign in our church? Lord, I pray that we would see you reign in this world. God, that people would respond to you as king. We pray that you would receive all the glory that you are due, beginning in my own heart. God, would we do this today? We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.